You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. You guys got the warm-up this morning, so we'll try it again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Awesome. That was actually... Actually, change your mind. That wasn't very awesome. Someone over here did an awesome job. Tina, I think that was you. I heard Tina. Let us try again. I know we can do better than that. He is risen. He is risen. Awesome. That is why we're here this morning, as, as Henry already informed us. We're here this morning because Jesus lives, because though he was killed on the cross and buried in the grave, the Spirit of God raised him up on the third day. Death was defeated, sin was defeated, evil was defeated, and light has risen in the darkness. Hallelujah. First Peter 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So again, we rejoice this morning because the resurrection of Christ reveals our hope in life and in death. In fact, if we think about it, everything we are, right, our, our identity and our faith, everything, everything we do and believe in his name and everything we have to look forward to as Christians hangs on that hope, right? Um, Timothy Keller writes, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Everything Jesus said and did rises and falls on the resurrection. The truth that Jesus walked out of the grave. Because if he didn't, let's just think about it. If he didn't, all this would just be a waste of time, wouldn't it? All that we're doing here at the gate, all, all the way that we live out our lives as Christians, it would all be pointless if, if the resurrection didn't happen. And while we could argue that maybe living according to Jesus' teachings might have made our quality of, of life a little bit better, you know, maybe gave us some nice morals or, or some community, you know, maybe we could argue that. But in the end, though, it, it would just be meaningless, as it says in Ecclesiastes, a chasing after the wind. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writes that if Jesus is still dead, if there was no resurrection... He writes of all Christians, himself included, he says, We are of all people most to be pitied. We are of all people most to be pitied. As I was thinking about that, it it reminded me um, of something. And and last week I got invited to a squash tournament. You guys know what squash is? There's like two people that are yes, and some people are laughing. I don't know why you're laughing. Is squash funny to you? I'm just kidding. Um, 
if you don't know what squash is, it's like racquetball or like indoor tennis, right? You, you hit a ball against a wall and then the other person has to return it and it goes back and forth like that. Uh, it looks easy, but it's actually really hard. And it, and it was fun actually being there watching this pro tournament and watching the, the skill of these, these players. Um, but in one match in particular, there was this volley that really stood out to me because it just wouldn't end. It just kept going and going and going and going. And it was like crazy to watch. And um, one of the players kind of had control of the situation. He's standing in the middle of the court and just hitting the ball left and right. And, and, the, and, and um, that was the amazing thing about it was that the other guy was, was keeping up, though. He's, he's all over the place, chasing the ball everywhere. He's diving, he's running into the wall, he's running to the front of the court, running to the back of the court, left and right. He's all over the place, and, and, and he's, he's, he's making these crazy plays, and his, his racket's just everywhere, and he's keeping up. The other guy's just standing in the middle, you know? Like, he's got, the, he's got control, but, but, but that guy was just everywhere. And, and in my opinion, he deserved the point for his effort. He was staying in it. He wanted to win that volley. You could tell. But then... The two players, they accidentally ran into each other. And at that point, the referee called let. And when the referee calls let, that means that nobody gets the point. And it meant that they had to restart the volley like, like it didn't even happen. Right? So all that effort, all that energy, all that skill, his diving, his sprinting, his running into the wall, his sweat, his fatigue, you know, all of it was wasted. Right? All, all, nothing came out of it. And so, of course, I, I, I kind of felt bad for the guy. I was like, man, that, that really sucks for that guy. He was giving it his all in that one. And, and he put so much into earning it. But, but in the end, it was for nothing. And it turned, out, it turned out that he actually ended up losing the match after that as well. So I, I felt really bad for him. But that's, it. that's exactly the kind of thing that Paul is saying here. That people should be, feel bad for us as Christians, pity us even, if the resurrection didn't happen. Because without it, without it, this would all be for naught. And, and, and in the end, we lose. This church thing, my job as a pastor, your faith, showing up here this morning, no, no matter how impressive we try to make it look, no, no matter how much energy and money and sweat and, and blood and tears that we put into trying to be... We put into being good Christians. You know, without the resurrection, it would be senseless and it would be pointless. As Paul continues to write in 1 Corinthians 15, 14 to 17, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And Paul, when he wrote that, he wrote that in the context of knowing and experiencing for himself as well that Christians were being persecuted for their faith, right? They're being killed, they're being beaten, they're being imprisoned for their faith. And so he's saying that if Jesus didn't win on the cross, then all would be for nothing. Every sacrifice, every prayer, every effort, every persecution, every time we suffered for Christ, it would all be a loss. It would all be in vain because if Jesus' body still lies in that grave, you have to understand that we have zero assurance of faith. There'd be no such thing as living hope, as it said in First Peter. What we'd have is a dead hope, which is no hope at all. It's, it's pretend hope. 
or at best it's wishful thinking. We have more hope in a bunny laying chocolate eggs in inconspicuous places in our backyard for us to find than being forgiven of our sins and going to heaven. Not only that, but we definitely lose in the end because God's not going to be very happy about us misrepresenting him and saying that he raised Christ if he didn't. So yeah, in that context, we're most to be pitied. And there's a reason that the chief priests, and in the, in the story that Caitlin read, there's a reason that the chief priests paid off the Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb, charging them to tell no one what happened and to instead spread the lie that Jesus' body was actually stolen. Because the chief priests were well aware that if the news got out that Jesus rose from the grave, then the fallout of that would be huge. It would change everything. It would challenge the religious status quo. It would put their authority in doubt as the religious leaders. And of course, it would make them look pretty bad because they're the ones that got Jesus crucified in the first place. And so, of course, they didn't want it to get out. Rather, they wanted to keep people in the dark because they knew that without the resurrection, if Jesus doesn't rise from the grave... It means he accomplished nothing. It, it means he wasn't the Messiah, and therefore his movement would die with him. And that's, and that's what they wanted to accomplish. They wanted that movement to die. So they paid the guards to lie about it, to say that it didn't happen, to pretend that there actually wasn't an intensely awesome angel that rolled away the stone that, that made them shrink in fear, but to instead say that they trained Roman guards were easily overrun by some former fishermen and tax collectors who then stole Jesus' body and pulled off a 40-day weekend at Bernie's shtick, fooling over 500 eyewitnesses. If you think about it, it's actually kind of ridiculous, isn't it? The story they tried to sell was that Jesus' disciples managed to pull off a highly elaborate heist, followed by a highly elaborate April Fool's joke, if I may, that hundreds of people were involved in and a part of, who also even in the midst of enduring suffering and the threat of death, managed to keep that secret for the rest of their life. Yeah, right. Obviously, in the end, the chief priest attempts to hide the truth, had little success. The joke was actually on them, because Jesus wasn't defeated in death. Jesus defeated death. Jesus rose from the grave. And aren't we, after all, evidence of that? As we sit here this morning, aren't we the evidence of that? Let me explain. Most scholars agree, but even without without scholars, who cares about scholars, it's kind of common sense that without the resurrection, Christianity would have died before it even began. Before the resurrection, I understand. Before the resurrection, Christianity as a thing didn't even exist. It didn't even exist. The whole point of Christianity is based on the fact and the necessity of the fact that Jesus is alive. Because if he's not, if, if it was all a joke or, or if it was a ruse, first of all, it's unlikely that anyone who was in on the joke would, and, and may have benefited from that joke or the ruse would have given their own lives for the cause. Con artists don't give their lives for the con. Right? They fly the coop or they fess up the moment it starts, stops benefiting them, especially if their lives are threatened. Besides, if, if we look at the story, the reality of the situation, as Jesus' body lied in the grave, lied dead in the grave, 
the reality of the situation was that the hope and the confidence of his disciples and followers had died with him. No one was ready or willing to keep the cause alive. Why would, why would they want to? Right? The, their Messiah was dead. Only Mary and Mary found it in their heart to even visit the tomb. Everyone else was done or confused or heartbroken or unsure of what to do or where to go next. And even after he rose, many still doubted. Until they touched Jesus' hands and, and touched his feet and touched his scars. Because they all thought that it was over. They were convinced that Jesus was dead and so was his movement. As if their last three years with him was an elaborate ruse, but they'd been the ones taken for fools. And if we look at it, Peter specifically, Peter, he was back to fishing with some of the other disciples, right? He was back to his old job, his old life. In other words, he thought the dream was over, especially because he betrayed Jesus three times before he died on the cross as well. In Peter's mind, he definitely didn't even deserve to have hope. And he's arguably one of the, the leaders of the disciples, right? And, that, and that's the point here. A dead Jesus equates to a dead hope. A dead Jesus means no followers. It means no salvation. It means no Pentecost. It means no indwelling Holy Spirit, no evangelism, no church, no Christianity. Yet here we are this morning. Part of the miraculous story, part of the testimony among millions and millions of other believers gathering today, confessing to the glorious truth that Jesus is not dead, but Jesus is alive. A testimony to the fact that when Jesus walked out of the tomb, it changed everything. It changed everything. And as he appeared to the women first, and then to the disciples and to hundreds more, and then years later to, to Saul of Tarsus on the, on the road to Damascus, every time people encountered the living, resurrected Christ, this is the result. Just like that, seemingly in that moment, or seemingly overnight, broken and hopeless hearts and souls were transformed and renewed into bold, confident hearts of faith and hope, ready to give anything and everything to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Like when Saul of Tarsus, for, for example, known mainly to us as Paul, when he encountered the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus and, and Jesus' glory blinded him, but in that moment his life was, was shifted, right? His life was reoriented for good. If he hadn't seen and heard Jesus, he'd, he'd have been happy and justified living out his, his days, killing Christians. Instead, he spent the rest of his life advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of persecution, in stonings and in jail and ultimately death for his faith. And then we look at Peter as well. When he heard the women say that, that, that the tomb was empty, he ran and, and he looked and, and he saw the empty tomb. And then he witnessed the resurrected Christ many different times. But most importantly, Peter personally experienced the grace and authority of Jesus who sought him out while Peter was fishing, while Peter had gone back to his old life. Jesus sought him out in order to forgive him for his denial. And not only was Peter forgiven of his sin, 
And he was restored into his purpose, restored into his calling to advance the gospel. Truly converted from a fisherman to fishers of men. And again, if he hadn't encountered the risen Christ in those moments, he probably would have died of old age as a fisherman wishing he could get those three years of his life back when he'd followed that weird dude who said he was God. But that's not the way it went down. Jesus Christ, by the will of God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, conquered the grave. He walked out of that tomb. And no longer as a, as a meek and suffering servant, right? but victoriously, now full of glory as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. No one could keep him in that tomb even if they tried because all authority had been given to him. And so, of course, after seeing and believing that Christ had risen, the disciples' lives turned around. Everything shifted, and from that point on, they looked to the cross not as their defeat, but as the power of God for their salvation. In fact, when we, when we read through the letters and, and speeches by the, by the apostles in the New Testament, if we go through Acts and go, and go through their letters, the foundation and proof of pretty much every point they make about the cross and about salvation, and even for their hope, and even for their reason for being and, and, and preaching, it's all predicated on the truth of and their witness to this historical event, that Jesus is not a dead guy. He did die and was buried, but that he rose from the dead. He's not just some martyr. He's alive. He's one. Acts 10, verse 40. They proclaim, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8 says, For I delivered, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Paul's saying, you can go ask them. They saw this. Though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. In Acts 13, 32-34, says, And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us by their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead... No more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. So we see as they, as they witnessed the resurrected Christ with their own eyes, it changed everything. Everything. It changed their worldview. Right? They saw the world in a different way. Their identity changed. Their purpose changed. The way they read and understood scriptures changed and that they now saw that it all pointed to Christ the way that they approached God changed they could now approach him with boldness and with confidence their eyes and hearts were open to the truth in the light of the risen Christ and from that point on there was no question they laid down everything to follow him and proclaim him and it started a revolution 
That's why the Apostle Paul wrote, we can see his confidence here regarding the resurrection of our Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58, he says, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In light of the resurrection, then the apostles understood that their faith and their life in Christ was not in vain. That it was worth it no matter what they faced. Because of the resurrection, because it took away any doubt, Jesus is Lord. In fact, it proved that Jesus is who he says he is. The Son of God. The sinless and perfect Lamb of God. His victory over death proved that he alone was and is the one who is written about by the prophets and promised by God in the scriptures. And since it proved that he is who he says he is, they also understood, therefore, that we can trust in everything that Jesus taught, that he proclaimed and that he promised. Not only that, but the resurrection confirmed and proved that Jesus truly defeated the power of sin and death as our perfect sacrifice once for all. It proved that the victory had surely been won at the cross. That Jesus is the one who reigns and who alone holds the power over the grave. It proved that the love of God is relentless and faithful to save and to make all things new. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul writes, The saying is trustworthy. And deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. The saying is trustworthy. We can be confident in the grace and salvation of Christ. The power of the cross is deserving of full acceptance. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And this this confidence and hope that the disciples found in the living Christ is available to us as well. And that's what I want to make clear for us this morning, that, that that it wasn't just about seeing Jesus alive that changed everything for them. That was a miraculous and mind blowing moment, I'm sure. But it was also and largely because of what the resurrection meant and what it accomplished and what it proved. And that's why Peter can say with confidence to those who haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. 1 Peter 1, verse 8, says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Again, this, this confidence and hope that the disciples found in the living Christ is available to us as well because Jesus is as alive today as he was then. Which means for us, first of all, that in, that in light of the resurrection, we today, we can also be confident that we're no longer under the power of sin and death. Romans 6, 9-11 says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. That means no more sacrifices are needed. His sacrifice was enough. He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
And that's why we can, we can confidently proclaim to sinners as well in Romans 10 verse 9, which says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. The resurrection shows us without a doubt that Jesus truly won the victory over sin and death at the cross. If he hadn't, he'd, right, he'd still be dead. If he, if he died a sinner, if he wasn't a son of God, he'd still be dead. But he didn't. He died as the perfect and unblemished Lamb of God in our place. And he lives and he reigns and he won. It is finished, as he proclaimed. Which means that we can be confident and assured that through the blood of Christ, through his love poured out for us, that our guilt and shame, our sin, our, our condemnation, our self-righteousness, and, and our fear, all of it, our, our past mistakes and our failures, our hopelessness, anything that's made us unworthy in the, in the sight of a holy God, it's all been dealt with. All of it. It's all been hung on the cross and, and, and buried in the grave for good. Never to be heard from or seen again. Replaced instead with his righteousness, his freedom, and his mercy, and his love. That's what, our, that's what our baptism as Christians signifies, right? As we surrender to Christ, our old self dies and is buried in that grave, right? And washed away in the water. And then when we're raised up, born again, made new in Christ. That's the power of resurrection. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which leads me to my next point. But not only does the resurrection bring us confidence for our salvation, it also gives us confidence today in the promise of resurrection life. John eleven twenty five, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It's a trustworthy promise that we can have confidence in because Jesus suffered and overcame the grip of death. And now he holds the power over life and death. So we can be confident that death no longer holds its, holds its grip over us. Instead, we can look forward to the hope that one day Jesus will return in glory and will raise us up with him out of this broken world and into eternal life where there'll be no more sin or suffering or pain. Right? Because, because Jesus conquered the grave, we can proclaim without fear and with full assurance of faith. We can proclaim, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? As Craig D. Lounce Brew writes, Easter is a time when God turned the inevitability of death into the invincibility of life. Through Christ we have hope and eternal life, but all things will be made new. And not only do we have hope in death then, but we also have hope as we live out our lives as well. As Paul David Tripp writes, The resurrection tells you that God will win. His truth will reign. His plan will be accomplished. Sin will be defeated. Righteousness will overcome evil. This means that everything you do in God's name is worth it, no matter what the cost. Because Jesus has won because of the resurrection, we can live for him in confidence. Knowing that it's, it's not pointless. 
and that he won't let us down. But that it's a life worth living, a life worth sacrificing for, a life of purpose, of hope, and of truth, a life that ends with victory. And I'll be honest, by God's grace, I'm a testimony to that truth. If I felt that this was was all in vain and useless and pointless, believe me, I would not be here this morning. I would not be standing in front of you and preaching to you this morning. I definitely wouldn't get on stage and talk to a crowd if I thought it wasn't going anywhere. Or, or if, even, even if it might benefit me personally, I probably wouldn't do it. Because it's true, I confess, like many of you, I'm a textbook introvert. Hardcore. This isn't fun for me. Okay? What's fun for me is sitting in a room by myself and reading a book or writing a song that no one will ever hear. That's what's fun for me. I see some, some, some cheering. You guys know what I'm talking about. I wouldn't be here if this was pointless, but I'm up here because Jesus is alive. I'm here because I believe that it matters, because I'm compelled by his truth and by his love, because I believe that living for Christ and proclaiming his name is eternally significant and that by his grace, it won't fall void or on deaf ears. I believe that everything we do in God's name, no matter how uncomfortable or how much it costs, is worth it because Jesus is alive. And in the same vein, it's only by his grace and strength that I'm, that I'm even able to be up here. Which leads me finally to my last point, which is that because Jesus is alive, because he reigns over us, we can also be confident that he's with us and is faithful to give us the grace the daily bread that we need. Before he ascended into heaven, Jesus proclaimed to his disciples, as we read earlier, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission, right? Most of us have probably heard the Great Commission, which says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this charge, this great commission, as we know, would lead the disciples to live and speak with a confidence and a boldness in Jesus' name that can only come from the living God. They're They committed their lives completely to Christ and to his kingdom come. But why? Because the Great Commission came with a promise. They lived that way because they were assured with the promise that Jesus would always be with them. And that promise is for us too. We can have the same confidence to to live our lives for Christ. Because we're not alone. Because we're not on our own in doing it. Jesus is with us and he's working in us. He's interceding for us and he's gone before us. He's given us a community to support us in it. And and this is completely unlike everything and anyone else we might try to put our faith or or our purpose or our confidence in. right? Because Jesus will not fail or abandon us. His grace is always sufficient. 
He proved that to us in his death and resurrection. He will not abandon us. As he said to his disciples before he went to the cross, I will not abandon you or leave you as orphans. And as a greater assurance for this, and, and as Jesus promised, he's poured out his spirit on all those who believe, so that he's not only with us, but that so he can dwell within us and empower us to go forth and proclaim his name with confidence and assurance. It's in the light of this truth that the Apostle Peter declared in his first sermon on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, 32 says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Verse 38, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This promise is for you. This promise is for us. A promise which declares that our hope in Christ is not in vain. Our calling in Christ is not in vain. Our suffering for Christ is not in vain. Our proclamation of Christ is not in vain. This this church thing that we're doing this morning is not in vain. Our worship and our prayers, our sacrificial love and encouragement to one another, our serving the poor and widows, all of it is not in vain. Laying down our lives for the glory of Jesus Christ is not in vain. It's the complete opposite. It's everything. It's life. It's abundant life. It's resurrection life. Because Jesus is alive. We live because he lives. As the old hymn proclaims, and I'm going to end with it this morning. It says, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. And then one day I'll cross the river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then, as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory, and I'll know he reigns. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives.